Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Alice Ott on what she calls major turning points in the expansion of Christianity in the world. Patrick was different. He uh, was motivated by the Great Commission uh, uh, to uh, preach the gospel, just like Paul, where the gospel had not been preached before. He went, uh, and Ireland at that time was at the very edge of the uh, then known world. So uh, he became really a turning point and a model for foreign missionary uh, enterprise outside of the boundary of the Roman Empire. Alice Ott, next. Dr. Alice Ott says the growth of Christianity can be traced to 12 major turning points in history. She stresses the gospel spread through the efforts of both Western and non-Western missionaries, as well as indigenous Christians. Dr. Ott teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and is the author of Turning Points in the Expansion of Christianity, From Pentecost to the Present. Dr. Ott, what is a turning point? Well, I define a turning point in history as a specific decisive moment when something significant changes. In other words, a turning point is a juncture where an important change occurs and a new historical trend begins. And my inspiration for this was from Mark Knoll's very popular book. Uh, I'm sure some of your uh, listeners may know it, Turning Points, Decisive Moments in the History of Christianity. And I became convinced that a similar turning points approach would be a great way to take this broad and complex history of Christian expansion from Pentecost to the present and make it more understandable. So in terms of how they contribute to the expansion of Christianity, there's, there's, there's something new happening that hasn't happened before. Is that basically what you're saying in the history of the church? Yes, I'm going to say, is, and particularly by using this turning points approach, uh, I feel that's a helpful way to reveal how God has worked in history at different times, sometimes in new ways, with a mm. new trend uh, uh, occurring in the expansion of his church. And I, I do feel uh, that this approach means that rather than attempting to include every aspect of uh, the history of Christian mission and expansion, I really kind of focus in on the most crucial events and trends. And uh, I think that that uh, I think it has a couple advantages, or at least that's my opinion to it. Mm. It, it allows me to actually uh, include more in-depth narrative, in other words, to tell the story uh, with a little more detail on the these 12 turning points that I focus in on. Uh, hopefully it helps it to come alive for the reader and uh, be more interesting. And by having this limited number, I think it makes this expansion or understanding what's going on simpler and hopefully more understandable. Mm. Of course, I have to include uh, some uh, historical context as well as important uh, historical precedents, as well as how this trend later develops and impacts others. And certainly we'll get to as many of the turning points as we can, but just a, just a couple other preliminary type questions. Why do you 
you believe this information is valuable for the church or individual Christians, for that matter, to be aware of? In other words, uh, how will it be an aid to current and future missions work? Kind of a big compound question there. Yeah, it is, but it's an important one. Uh, I do think uh, knowing something about the history of expansion of Christianity is important for the church and for individual Christians. I think there are a number, actually many uh, important lessons that can and should be learned from this history as we attempt to effectively engage the world for Christ. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in that well, well-worn well uh, statement that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm. Well, there. Are, uh, let me just give you one lesson that I think uh, can be learned. Uh, the history of mission shows us that, generally speaking, the most effective cross-cultural missionaries are those who immerse themselves in the local culture and language and develop a, a good uh, competency in both. And But frankly, this lesson can be easily applied when we evangelize in the United States. I mean, so many of our neighbors are from a, a dif different ethnic or religious background than we are. Mm -hmm. And frankly, to uh, effectively reach them with the gospel, it's important for us to, to understand their cultural and religious beliefs. And frankly, that's one lesson we can learn uh, from learning about mission history. And, and you, in, in the book, you make the distinction between mission and missions. W what is that, uh, that distinction? Well, um, I uh, use uh, this definition of mission in my book. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it. It's a quote from a scholar. And mission as applies to the work of the church means the specific intention. So it's intentional of bearing witness to the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel at this borderline between faith and unbelief. The heart of mission is always making the gospel known where it would not be known without a special and costly act of boundary crossing witness. So I am basically in the book defining mission as uh, the advance of the Christian faith across boundaries, across cultural, linguistic, ethnic, and religious frontiers into territories where there is little or no uh, Christian presence. Now, I do believe that you can't make two uh, uh, big of a division between home and foreign mission or between mission and evangelism. Mm -hmm. uh, but in in this book, I'm I'm focusing on cross-cultural ministry rather than evangelism within one's own culture and ethnicity. Totally. About the, the plural term, I just, oh, yes. in that case, I, I just, uh, that refers to the various specific efforts that the church employed to carry out the task of world mission. Well, the book is Turning Points in the Expansion of Christianity from Pentecost to the Present. My guest is the author, Dr. Alice Ott, and she is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Well, the first turning point that you discuss, Dr. Ott, in your book uh, is seen in Scripture. It's something that, that most people familiar with the New Testament will be familiar with. It's the Jerusalem Council. I wonder if you can explain to us what happened there, and in what sense you see this as a turning point as you define it. Well, you're right. The Jerusalem Council, this is one of the turning points found right there in the Bible in Acts 15. And it was a turning point because basically it, uh, the council and the decision at the end of the council removed uh, the, 
I'm, I'm quoting from Ephesians 2.14, the dividing wall of separation and hostility uh, between Jewish and Gentile believers. It basically uh, declared that Gentile believers, Gentile ethnicities had the same standing within the church as Jewish uh, uh believers. And uh, this also had an important theological uh, dynamic. It established that the nature of salvation was the same for both Jews and Gentiles. Both were saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law. And this meant that Gentiles could be welcomed into the church without it having to adhere to the Jewish law or undergo circumcision. And frankly, it's a turning point because it facilitated mission to the Gentiles without ha them having to go become basically Jews first to become Christians. And so meaning that, uh, you know, in the centuries after the Jerusalem Council, the church uh, basically uh, had uh, became largely uh, Gentile. And so that from that point, that early point in Scripture, in the book of Acts, the church's uh, mission uh, forever changed as yes, a result. Yes, absolutely. Well, another turning point, you talk about Patrick and his mission. Patrick, uh, probably people may not know it, but is familiar to many. Uh, can you tell us who that is and and how his mission was a, was a turning point in Christianity? With well, Patrick uh, of Ireland was uh, uh, lived in the fifth century in the four hundreds, and uh, he uh, was uh, really a uh, a key person in a number of ways. Uh, first off, let me just say, as an evangelical, I was delighted to read his semi autobiographical uh, uh, confession. In other words, his own writing. Mm. And in this, he has a very uh, well-developed and biblically-based mission theology, which really uh, many or most uh, or all evangelical Christians would fully embrace today. And what was unique about him is that he could envision mission beyond the boundaries of the Roman Empire. At this time, most Christians believed that, uh, you know, they had the concept of Christendom and that most uh, Christians at the, that time believed that anybody outside the Roman Empire, you know, that wasn't part of the church's mandate to reach out to them. Hmm. And, and, other, and they also didn't like the concept of these barbarians. That's the word they used for them. And uh, Patrick was different. He uh, was motivated by the Great Commission. Uh, uh, to uh, preach the gospel, just like Paul, where the gospel had not been preached before. So he went, uh, and Ireland at that time was at the very edge of the uh, then known world. So uh, he became really a turning point and a model for foreign missionary uh, enterprise outside of the boundary of the Roman Empire. Mm. And I appreciate you setting uh, the context in terms of uh, the era, uh, the, the time in history where these turning points occur. I'm wondering what about another one that you write about, the East Syrian mission to China and the role of Bishop Alipin, is it? Well, uh, I, this is a, a part of the story that many uh, Westerners may not be aware of. Uh, we tend to focus in the West on the Western expansion mm -hmm. of Christianity, and that can leave the false impression that Christianity from the beginning was largely a Western or European phenomenon, which it wasn't. Uh, 
And really very early along this East Syrian church, they're a, a member of the Eastern churches, uh, like Eastern Orthodox in some ways. Mm-hmm. And um, they were involved, in, were very mission-minded, and both uh, laymen and monks and clerics, they were spreading the gospel within places where today the gospel is barely known, in Syria, uh, of course, that's where their name's coming from, in Persia, Afghanistan, Central Asia, India, and in China. And uh, the uh, this mission to China began in 635 AD. I mean, that's early. And this is especially noteworthy because it was uh, an uh, important early uh, encounter of Christianity with a very sophisticated culture, a totally foreign religious context. And uh, those missionaries, they needed to grapple with how do we explain the gospel accurately and uh, in uh, and make it understandable for a Chinese population. So what would you say are the long-term results or, or consequences of, of this particular turning point in terms of the, the expansion of Christianity? Well, I think in terms of a, the turning point was more that it was... Um, a very successful Eastern movement. Uh, it was moving into, uh, yeah, what areas which were more Semitic. Uh, the, they were would be speaking the Aramaic in that Syrian mm. area, mm-hmm. uh, which later became Syriac. Uh, and uh, so it was partly a geographical turning point in going in this direction, as well as a, uh, it just, it, as I said at the end, Uh, this encounter with uh, really grappling with what it means to reach out to totally foreign context, uh, which frankly, while they were in Persia and Afghanistan and Central Asia, were not nearly as different as a place like China. Mm. Well, you also uh, write about as one of the turning points, uh, Zinzendorf and uh, Moravian missions. Uh, can you give us the context of those people may be familiar with the Moravians or not? Uh, and, and what happened there? What's significant about them? Well, Zinzendorf uh, and the Moravian mission, which he was so involved in, uh, was uh, was also, I believe, a, a key turning point uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, in the first place, the Moravian mission took place uh, and was a sharp contrast, frankly, to a fairly lukewarm response to cross-cultural mission within Protestantism mm. at the time. Uh, in contrast to, uh, uh, you know, some of those churches, the Moravians viewed foreign mission as their key priority, and it was really central to their own self-understanding. And Sinzendorf himself, he was a count, he was a high aristocrat, uh, but uh, he it was the leader of this uh, group, and he reflected biblically and theologically on the task of mission. He wrote at least 14 different pamphlets of instructions for Moravian missionaries. Uh, and f- frankly, the Moravians, they did more than any previous Protestant group to make mission an evangelical concern. 
And that is a scene uh, not only in the number of missionaries they had, they had one missionary for every 60 members of their church. At that time, if you had one for 500, it was good. And so they were, they, the numbers of missionaries, their international influence, uh, they were in many continents of the world at that time. And uh, last but not least, they had a huge impact on uh, the rise of the mission movement in both England and in Germany uh, in the 1790s. People like William Carey were highly, was highly influenced by the Moravians. Well, you, you mentioned William Carey, and his, his name may be more familiar to people listening to this than some of the others we brought up so far. Um, in fact, you write that he did more than any other single individual to turn the previously sporadic Protestant mission efforts into a growing and thriving mission movement. Can you tell us about William Carey and what it is that he did and and how and the turning point in the expansion of Christianity that followed? Okay, uh, let me first say that William Carey would be the first to admit that he was by no means the first or earliest Protestant to actively pursue world mission. Uh, in fact, uh, he wrote this very important kind of mission manifesto, some would call it, uh, called The Inquiry. It has a really long title. We'll just call it The Inquiry. <laughs> okay. Uh, in which he gave credit to uh, a whole slew of missionaries before him, starting from the early church through John Elliott, David Brainerd, and, and the Moravians. Nevertheless, I do think he does deserve the, the title that he's often given as father of the modern Protestant mission movement. Hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, I do think he did more than any other single individual to, uh, you know, turn this into a mission movement, not just a few little individual uh, missions happening here and there. And there's a couple of reasons that he, things that he did that paved the way for this movement. He, in, in that inquiry, that very fundamental work that he wrote, he is going to deal with theological and practical objections to mission and answer them and address them. And frankly, there were some theological issues that needed to be addressed for the mission movement to develop. He's going to uh, give the new mission movement an organizational structure and that was the Voluntary Missionary Society. His founding of the Baptist Missionary Society was a key event. And within a decade, there were uh, a dozen well-known missionary uh, societies founded. So that is just showing that he was launching a movement. And his missionary service really became an inspiration and uh, and his mission methods kind of a model for a whole generation of Protestant missions. And his, his target? if you will, or his uh, mission field, particular to, to what he did, was India. Is was that right? in India. Yes, it was. And, and there's a lot more that could be said about that. I'm speaking with Dr. Alice Ott, and she is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. We're talking about her, her fascinating book, Turning Points in the Expansion of Christianity from Pentecost to the present, and we're working our way up to uh, the, the present through this, uh, Dr. Ott, but tell us about the British abolitionist crusade, if you would, and its link to mission in Africa, and of course, how it is a turning point. Okay. Well, uh, British abolitionist cru uh, crusade had really uh, uh, a great leader in the person of William Wilberforce. Uh, he uh, led the campaign to abolish the slave trade in the British Parliament for 20 years until he was finally successfully uh, achieved it in 1807. 
And what is interesting uh, about this is that there is a clear link between the British Abolition Crusade and the first Protestant missions to Africa. Uh, both of these concerns uh, were uh, embraced uh, by the same evangelical Anglican individuals in groups. Uh, they were both con concerned with both abolition and mission. And let me just show how that played out in Wilberforce's life. Okay. He was not only a leader of the abolition crusade, he helped to found and was one of the first vice presidents of the highly influential uh, Church Missionary Society. That is an evangelical Anglican missionary society. And that uh, society, so he's he's doing mission uh, and he's involved in abolition. And that missionary society, uh, just uh, shortly after it was founded in 1799, sent its first missionaries to Africa, Sierra Leone. Uh, and so it basically what sort of happened, these same groups of people kind of turned from their concern of freeing slaves to also a concern for the eternal fate of Africans. Mm. And uh, and that meant that uh, Africa came on the radar screen as a potential missionary venue for a, a mission activity. Tell us about the 1920 Edinburgh World Missionary Conference. Uh, I'm guessing most of our listeners are not aware of that and, and its role as what you call a turning point. It, yeah, it, it actually was a decade early in 1910, but that's okay. Oh. Uh, this The Edinburgh World Missionary Conference was a large international conference attended by about 1,200 delegates. And it was convened to, in order to analyze the past achievements of Protestant missions and to study and uh, find solution for any obstacles to the what they called the evangelization of the world in this generation. Hmm. By the way, that was the motto of this conference, the evangelization of the world in this generation. And uh, it's a turning point because it was kind of uh, the culmination of a more traditional view of mission that had taken place in the 19th century among Protestants. Uh, the majority of the delegates were evangelical and believed that conversion was the primary goal of mission. But there was a significant number of dele delegates who were also vocal, who had embraced uh, more ecumenical th and theologically liberal views, and who were uh, less concerned with conversion and more with what we would call social justice type mm. concerns. So this whole conference is going to unleash a debate over what constitutes mission, are secondary missionary methods like education and medical ministries, are they legitimate if they don't bring about conversion or not? And uh, by the way, this that this debate still occurs today. Then coming very close to the modern day, the 1974 Luzon Congress and then Billy Graham's role in it. Um, tell us about that and, and what turning point did it mark? Well, uh, I think there's two things that are important about it. Uh, Billy Graham in the 1970s wanted to have a successor Congress to the 1910 Edinburgh Conference. Mm. And uh, he also was concerned about the, the task of the total evangelization of the world. He's using the same language. And uh, he wanted to unite all 
evangelicals in this common task of uh, the evangelization of the world. He wanted to reaffirm an evangelical understanding of mission and evangelism in contrast to more ecumenical or liberal formulations. It was an important turning point because it reflected the new reality that evangelicalism was no longer a Western phenomenon. Frankly, uh, it's a multicultural global enterprise. The reality is evangelicalism is exploding in the global South and is barely holding its own in secular Europe mm -hmm. and even to a, a, a certain extent in the United States. And that, that's one key thing. The other thing is it inspired and furthered the growth of mission movements from a number of important countries in the non-Western world. And in the book, I focus on Nigeria, Korea, and Brazil. Well, and some people might be wondering, uh, Dr. Ott, when we look back over this, the, the span of church history, the Protestant Reformation certainly, at least in, in some respects, was a a major turning point in the history of the church. So some might wonder why was it not included in, in turning points? You're right. It is a huge major. And if I was writing a book on church <laughs> history, it would definitely be very, you know, central. Sure. Uh, because of its reaffirmation of key uh, biblical and theological truths. But I do actually talk about it some in my uh, chapter on the pioneering of global outreach, uh, where, I, where I talk about uh, the how Calvin and Luther theologized about mission, as well as uh, discuss on for a number of pages on uh, early Lutheran as well as reform mission efforts. But I didn't make it one of my 12 turning points because they actually didn't meet my criteria, criteria. Okay. Uh, uh, my criteria of how I'm defining mission. Both Calvin and Luther were more concerned with re-evangelizing nominal Christians mm. in Europe, and both of them within their own, uh, the Lutherans largely within the German territories, German language and culture, and Calvin largely, not entirely, but largely within France and French territories. And so that is part of the reason uh, that it didn't become a turning point, uh, but it is discussed in the book. Okay, no, that's fine. Are we in the midst of any possible turning point as we speak? In other words, I'm thinking of the whole digital revolution, even the way that we're doing our interview today on, on Zoom and the technology that has arisen in the last, uh, well, really, 20, 25 years. It, it, do you think we're in the midst of some kind of a turning point in the expansion of Christianity this time, maybe not terrestrially, but digitally, online? I, I think you're absolutely right with that. Uh, you know, we can reach people with, um, you know, through Zoom, you can do uh, theological training this way. Uh, there was re just a week or two ago, there was a conference in Izmir, Turkey, an international conference with 500 delegates talking about how to do missionary training. And a lot of it is by embracing some of, uh, some of the new technologies that we have. And that's... Uh, one thing I have to say about the mission of the church, they often have, I mean, the church has as well, but the mission as well has often been a little bit in the forefront of trying to use new new, uh, new ideas to reach other people for Christ. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alice Ott, my guest, we've been talking about her book, Turning Points and the Expansion of Christianity from Pentecost to the Present. We weren't able to talk about everything. What is your hope, Dr. Ott, uh, for the readers of this book? Uh, what is your hope uh, in terms of understanding these turning points 
and uh, and its influence in even in their individual Christian lives and understandings. Well, I, I really do hope that uh, the readers of my book will be encouraged to see how the Church of Christ has expanded throughout the globe in such a remarkable way. It really has. And of course, when you look at this history, you're going to find some examples of where missionaries fail and mission societies are misguided or, or short-sighted and so forth. But we also have to realize that there were uh, glorious moments, wonderful moments where uh, missionaries sacrificed for the sake of the gospel, learned languages and culture, and most importantly, uh, that through all of that, that the gospel of Christ's redemption has been preached and believed by many peoples and nations and tribes across the globe. Uh, and that is, uh, much of it happened since the 19th century. But uh, I do think that this should really give us confidence uh, to look uh, to the future with hope and to rest on the promises of Jesus Christ, who said, I will be with you always until the end of the age, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School professor, Dr. Alice Otts, author of Turning Points in the Expansion of Christianity, From Pentecost to the Present. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People.